0: Our Lady Mother of the Eucharist, her whole life directed by the Holy Spirit in fulfilling the will of the Father, centering her life on the redemptive mission of Jesus Christ. She's so associated with our Lord. Savior, Redeemer, that she's known as co-redemptrix, properly understood, Katie. Our Lady Mediatrix of all graces. All graces come to us through Mary. There's only one mediator between God and man. this is important to understand, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ, the God-man. Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man in the order of justice, because only the God-man can satisfy the justice that was offended, that offended God. And one offense against an infinite God as an infinite offense. And so it took God himself to satisfy that injustice. Understand, there's one mediator between God and man in the order of justice. But in the order of grace, Mary is the mediatrix of all graces. The graces that Jesus won for us By his sacrifice on the cross, which we'll be speaking about more tomorrow when we get into this sorrowful mysteries. But they're all connected. Those graces that Jesus won, the merits that he won, are distributed by Our Lady. At the holy sacrifice of the Mass, remember, there's only one Mass. And there's only one priest, Jesus Christ. But the Mass is represented in an unbloody way where the merits and graces of Jesus Christ are distributed. Mary, who was at the foot of the cross, is the mediator of all graces. The church fathers speak of Jesus Christ as the head of the church and we are the body of Christ, but Mary is the neck of the church. Everything comes from the head to the body through the neck. But we must be clear, there's only one mediator between God and man in the order of justice. That's our Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. Only the God-man can satisfy the justice of God that was offended through sin. But Mary has been chosen by God to be the mediatrix of graces won by Jesus Christ. Mary's whole life is connected with Jesus but we, we, in a special way, are supposed to continue his redemptive mission empowered by the Holy Spirit. We, the faithful. And that's why it's important to have a strong relationship with Jesus in the Most Holy Eucharist and with Our Lady, Mother of the Eucharist. That's the purpose of this retreat. We don't know what God has in store for any of us. Where we'll be in a year. All I know is that it will be wonderful because God is a wonderful God. Glorifying his goodness is glorifying God. And in fact, the catechism itself talks about <clears throat> praising the goodness of God that's beyond all goodness is the way you glorify him. He's a good God. Our Father is so good. He's, it's like we don't even know what good is. That's what St. Thomas Aquinas talks about in a certain way of approaching the perfections of God in describing them, we have to admit in a way that God is so good, it's as if we don't even know what good is. And that's pretty good, because I've seen some good things. I know some really good things. I, I know I know many of you personally. I see so much goodness in you. I do urge you to see goodness. Make that choice every day to see goodness. Be edified by other people's goodness. Every person has Limitations, weaknesses. We're finite creatures. By definition, we're going to have limitations, right? A finite creature has limitations and weaknesses. And that's just saying things nicely. We have imperfections and sins. And boy, we're really good at pointing out other people's mm, weaknesses and Imperfections and maybe even their sins. But God created us in his image and likeness. He loves us. And if you love someone, you love what they love. And you love who they love, right? Right? So God loves all of you. So I don't walk around and go, Okay, God, I'm going to love them because you love them. (laughs) Let's get real. Let's love. The surest way to grow in your relationship with the Most Holy Eucharist, that is love. He is love. Love right on the altar. The sacrament of charity. He'll transform your heart. So you'll be consumed and transformed in the fires of divine love. Consumed and transformed in the fires of divine love who is the Holy Spirit. And this love of Jesus is a love that Makes himself humble, humble. Saint Tres the Child Jesus used to talk about this love that humbles himself. So many saints drawn into the littleness of God. This love that makes himself so little and approachable. So, last one of the last thoughts on the third joyful mystery. Is this from Venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen? He was giving a meditation on Christmas, the Incarnation, and the Eucharist. And he said, in a book called The Divine Romance, and remember, we're all supposed to be romantic, but truly romantic. Saint Augustine says to fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances. To seek God is the greatest of all adventures and to find God is the greatest of all human achievements. That's the truth. I'm in I'm in a love affair. I hope you are. I'm in a love affair. And when you're in a love affair everything's good. Everything's good except when you're missing your lover. Why is it so many people today aren't seeing what's good? They're not having that relationship with the Eucharist. So Archbishop Fulton Sheen said that Man has never loved, never will love, anything he cannot get his arms around. And the cosmos is too big and bulky. That is why the immense God became a babe, in order that we might encircle him in our arms. I like it. I see some people there smiling. It's good. I hope you all like it. God made himself approachable, lovable. Who'd be afraid of a little baby? Everyone loves little babies. And they always say, Oh, isn't that baby so beautiful? And you smile sometimes because they're kind of wrinkly a little bit. But, you know, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. And so Archbishop Fulton Sheen says, This is why the boundless God, the boundless God, continues to make himself small in the Eucharist. He wants to descend upon our heart and find the same love that he found at Bethlehem from Mary, Joseph, shepherds, magi. He comes in the sacred host to become our center. He wants us to love him with all our feelings, our affection, our will, and our intelligence according to his words. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, With all your mind, He will make us apostles of His love. The fourth joyful mystery the presentation in the temple. While continuing with chapter 6 of Ecclesia de Eucharistia, in number 56. St. John Paul the Great says Mary throughout her life at Christ's side and not only on Calvary made her own the sacrificial dimension of the Eucharist. The sacrificial dimension of the Eucharist. Remember the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Mass. St. John Paul the Great refers to the Eucharist in terms of sacrifice, presence, and banquet, banquet of communion. Those three aspects are very important in John Paul II. St. John Paul II. The sacrificial dimension. When she brought the child Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem, to present him to the Lord. St. Luke, again, chapter 2, verse 22. She heard the aged Simeon announce that the child would be a sign of contradiction and that a sword would also pierce her own heart. St. Luke, chapter 2, verse 34 through 35. The tragedy of her son's crucifixion was thus foretold And in some sense, Mary's Stabat Mater at the foot of the cross was foreshadowed. In her daily preparation for Calvary, her daily preparation for Calvary, Mary experienced a kind of anticipated Eucharist, quote unquote. One might say a, quote, spiritual communion, end quote. Regular spiritual communions are very important. And there's plenty of ways to pray them. But it's not like you have to have some exact perfect formula to convince God to have communion with you. It's his desire. What comes from the heart is what's most important. Regular spiritual communions. of desire and of oblation. So you desire to have communion with him, but you offer yourself, all of yourself, holding nothing back. Love requires totality. Love requires totality. God does not want a half-hearted lover. Love God with all your heart soul i'll go into that soul of christ sanctify me body christ save me blood of christ inebriate me your soul includes actually even your your feelings your passions your emotions but of course your memory imagination your intellect your will you receive the soul of christ in the most holy eucharist you receive what he he desires you receive his desires his affections his preferences his tastes. have you ever thought about what's your preference jesus When you go, and it wouldn't be today, today today's Friday, but if after this retreat you go and uh, have an ice cream and there's all these different flavors, have you ever asked Jesus what flavor he'd like that day? I don't know, just a thought. But at deeper ways, desire and oblation, and his desire is that you love God and love your neighbor. But God wants you to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Let me share with you, that one means give him whatever strength you have, as long as it's 100%. I find sometimes when I'm weak and actually even sick, I find that I'm finally loving God with all my strength, the little strength I have. But when I have a lot of strength, I tend to hold some back. I think I'm giving him a lot, but really, you know, I might be giving him 60%. I remember celebrating Mass, and I could barely stand up for the whole Mass. I had had, had a certain, um, certain thing I had to fight off in a foreign country. And, uh, I was just basically able to get up and celebrate Mass, and I you know, thought I might even pass out. And but I was loving him with all my strength. Desire and oblation, which would culminate in Mary's union with her son and his passion. Remember the passion of Christ, and Mary. when I think of the passion of Christ, I think of Mary as compassion. Compassion means with passion, right? So Jesus' passion and Mary's compassion is something that's very pleasing to God. And then find expression after Easter by Mary's partaking in the Eucharist, which the apostles celebrated as the memorial of that passion. And so you're starting to see the connections between the presentation of the Lord in the temple and already the, the sorrowful mysteries, because they're, they're actually all connected. Okay? They're all one. All of our lives have joys, lights, sorrows, and glories, and you need to keep them connected. They're all connected. St. John Paul II goes on to say, What must Mary have felt as she heard from the mouth of Peter, John, and James, and the other apostles, the words spoken at the Last Supper, This is my body which is given for you, from St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 19. The body given up for us and made present under sacramental signs was the same body which she had conceived in her womb. For Mary, receiving the Eucharist must have somehow meant welcoming once more into her womb that heart which had beat in unison with hers and reliving what she had experienced at the foot of the cross. And all that's connected. That flows from the fourth joyful mystery. The fruit of the fourth joyful mystery is obedience. Obedience. That's the virtue with that. So you have the first joyful mystery is humility. The second joyful mystery is love of neighbor. The third is poverty or detachment. Very interesting that St. Teresa of Avila says to enter deep prayer, the higher states of prayer, there's three fundamental virtues that are necessary to enter into those. And guess what they are? Humility, humility love of neighbor, and detachment, the very first three joyful mysteries. Then the direct and proximate means to union with God, according to St. John of the Cross, are faith, hope, and charity, which are the virtues of the first three glorious mysteries. Everything's in the rosary. Part of me would like to just spend the rest of my life just preaching the rosary. But we're here. And At least we get to do it today, this weekend. Obedience. So sometimes when I'm praying these decades, I'm going, why is obedience assigned to that decade? I mean, there's 20 decades, right? Obedience is in all of them. Clearly in the garden. Thy will be done, not mine. Why? Why in the fourth joyful mystery? Well, you have to understand what's going on. Forty days after the firstborn male who opens the womb is born, he must be redeemed. You present him in the temple, and poor people would give an offering of a pair of turtle doves, right? And St. Joseph and the Blessed Virgin Mary offered the offering to the poor. They're offering Jesus Christ, the firstborn male who opens the womb of Mary. But does the Redeemer need to be redeemed? That's the question, you see. There's the point. Jesus is so obedient, he follows laws that were given by God that don't even apply to him. And he does that to make up for those who don't follow those laws. And when I talk about laws, I do, I do want to make this little gift to you, I'll, I'll say. How one views the commandments of God and even the rule of life in a religious community or your daily duties according to your state in life your really indicates a lot about how you relate to god are the laws seen as something that's imposed from the outside by some big authority let's just say the policeman in the sky Is that who God is? The policeman in the sky? Imposing laws on us, restricting our freedom. That's where a lot of people are in their relationship to God. That's the problem. The distorted image of the Father. Or do you see the laws as a gift coming from love because the two great commandments are love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself for the love of God and at the Last Supper, Jesus does Take it to a higher level. I give you a new commandment. His commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. But you see those coming from inside in a relationship that's a gift that's going to guide your life and help you grow and develop and they're actually going to protect you. I was sharing with somebody in the airport in Omaha how you can look at the the commandments, the laws of God, almost as, a, as this, these lines that go out infinitely this way. They keep expanding, but at first when you enter, there's this little narrow passage. They seem very narrow, but they go out infinitely. And in here is so much freedom. And you can only love freely. F- love must be free So that's where you please God. Our our life should be focused on doing what is good, pleasing, and perfect to God. Good, pleasing, and perfect. Focus on that. Doing his will and doing what's good, pleasing, and perfect. Not just doing the bare minimum. The Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes were actually minimalist. When you get overly legal, you're a minimalist. You're saying, just tell me the minimum of what I have to do. People get so rigid. What they're really saying is, I just want to know the minimum. Oh, I'm supposed to, I have to go to Mass, they'll say. For how long? One hour? A week? But there's 168 hours in the week. What are they saying? God gets one, I get 167? You know how much trouble I can get in, in 167 hours? I want everything to belong to God. Everything, everything at all times. I don't even want my own will, I I want just your will, God. So Jesus teaches us, he, he obeys laws that don't even apply to himself. This is a good guide for religious. And Mary, the first and perfect disciple, follows suit in the same way. Did Mary need to be purified? When she went to the temple, that was part of what was happening, is the purification. Did Mary need to be purified? She who was immaculately conceived gave the virgin birth. No, Mary didn't need to be purified, but she allowed herself to be presented to be purified to satisfy the law of God, and do it on behalf of those who aren't living purity, and we have plenty of that in the world today. So the religious and those who live the evangelical councils, you find obedience, you find purity or chastity right there, and you also find the poverty, the offering of the two turtle doves, poverty, chastity, obedience, you find them right there in that mystery and that's why the presentation is the World Day of Consecrated Life. But what you see is that obedience, obedience means to listen with the intention and desire to act from the Latin ab audire, like audio, audire, to listen with the intention and desire to act. So obedience They come to the temple. The Holy Family comes to the temple. And wow, there's Simeon waiting. He's been waiting for so many years for the promised one. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Prayer, fasting, service, sacrifice, waiting attentively. And then he holds the Messiah the long-awaited ones so joyfully. And he sings the nunc dimittis, which we sing every night in the church, all around the world. Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. We should be able to say that every evening. You look back on your day and you say, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every nation a light of every peoples a light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people Israel every night we should be able to say Lord your word has been fulfilled my own eyes have seen it that's a good way to end the day Reflect on the way that you saw the word being fulfilled, and your own eyes seeing that salvation, which is a light to the nations and the glory of the people Israel. Wow. And there's Anna. She's been a widow for so long, praying and fasting and waiting to see the Messiah. and she sees him, oh, and she can't wait to go announce the good news. Wow. All that's in relationship to the Eucharistic Lord. Simeon saw the Eucharist. Anna saw the Eucharist. Joseph, Saint Joseph, and our Blessed Mother brought the Eucharistic Lord to the temple. The offering of our Lord in the temple at the presentation was greater than all the offerings. That had ever been made in the temple prior to that point in time combined. Have you ever thought about that offering of Jesus? Wow. All the offerings that took place prior to the coming of the Messiah. They were all in preparation for the presentation of the offering of Jesus. He was offered in the temple. Now remember, he is the new temple, he is the altar. He is the sacrifice. He is the priest. He's the Lamb of God. Takes away the sins of the world. What an offering. But we can relate that to the offering at Mass, the offertory, and then take carrying it all the way through the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. But then Simeon, in the Holy Spirit, Talks about this child destined for the rise and the fall of many. What? Now there's a new understanding of the Messiah. Not just this heroic warrior king who's just going to make Israel a powerful nation. Oh, indeed, he will make the whole world. Share in the power of God for those who accept him. But he's the one who's going to be sacrificed. A sign of contradiction. We're all signs of contradiction. Get ready for it. Accept it. Not just those of us who wear habits, it's a sign of contradiction. Believe me, it's a sign of contradiction. I go through airports quite a bit. I'm a sign of contradiction. Praise the Lord. People have to make a choice. Do they choose Jesus or do they choose the world? There's no in between. You can't serve God and Mammon. Those who choose God, they rise. Those who choose the world, well, we pray for them. Hopefully, we we pray. My God, I believe, I adore, I trust, and I love Thee, and I beg pardon for those who don't believe, don't adore, don't trust, don't love Thee. There's two groups. But he's a sign of contradiction, will be a sign of contradiction. Jesus himself says, if you spoke the language of the world, the people of the world would love you. Do we speak the language of the world, or do we speak God language? Do we say, oh, well, we don't speak about religion and politics because, well, those are controversial. I'm just going to talk about the... uh, Well, here I am in Lincoln. I'm just going to talk about the Cornhuskers. That might be controversial. I don't know. But, you know, we want people to have the highest and best good, which is communion with God. Communion with God. We must speak. We must speak. We must speak to support those babies that are in the womb. We must speak to protect marriage between one man and one woman and that it's indissoluble. We must speak. Now there's a way to speak. We need to help people get out of the gender identity lie from hell that God created us man and woman. That's it. In his image and likeness and that's great news. I'll share with you a little story. It's true. I was in a country far, far, far away, and I got talking with this young man, and as we were conversing pretty quickly, as we're conversing, he says, Father, I'm gay, and I just kept talking about God and life, and he said, Father, I'm gay, and I just kept talking about God and life. He goes, Father, I'm gay. He probably thought I had a hearing problem or was just slow. But eventually I said, Would you quit saying that? Can you say I'm a son of God? He looked at me. I said, Can you say I'm a son of God? I'm a son of God. He was so happy. That's his identity, right? We got to bring people to their true identity. So that's a way to deliver it to people. You know, it, it doesn't have to be about beating people down. That are, There is a lot of disorientation in this world right now, and, and we, we're not condoning it. But let me share this also. Another lesson I learned that accepting people does not mean you're approving what they're doing. I used to think that accepting someone meant you're approving what they're doing, so I couldn't do that. But I can accept someone without approving what they do, but then a spiritual work of mercy is to correct the sinner, instruct the ignorant, counsel the doubtful. Those are works of mercy, true mercy. See, we don't let truth and love get separated in the name of false compassion, and that's what that is, this this whole thing. But... The point is, there's a way to deliver the truth in love that really helps people. You want to help people. But we're a sign of contradiction. And so, when we speak this truth in love, still there's going to be contradiction. And there might even get to the point of there being oppression or persecution. In Italian, they say, va bene, va bene, it goes good, va bene. But I don't, you know, we need to love other people. And love means to desire the highest and best good for them, which means communion with God. So we must lead them to God. Spiritual accompaniment accompaniment truly means leading people to where they need to get. Like Jesus led the woman at the well in John's Gospel, Chapter 4. You're leading them to where they need to get. You don't just say, I'm just here for you. And I just, you know, if you fall, well, I'll just... You know, be here and maybe I'll help you up and we'll just kind of stay where you are. No. We need to get to Jesus, get to the Eucharistic Lord. The Eucharist is the answer. You can read Mother Saint Mother Teresa Calcutta, who's worked with the poorest, the poor all you know, her community all over the world. What does the world need to end abortion and, and, and all the things that they're looking for? A relationship with the Eucharistic Lord. Period. Punto that's it. That's why we're so glad that you're here. But we are signs of contradiction, and you need to draw strength from your relationship with the Eucharistic Lord to be a sign of contradiction, because it's challenging at times, I admit. It's challenging to be continually more and more just, you know, opposed and labels put on you. Pretty funny, the The people who are intolerant call us intolerant. They usually project onto us what they're experiencing within themselves. But they're my brother and sister. They're my brother and sister. I love them. But I learned in the Philippines as a formator, I like this word. It's very good. They need to process things. Process. It's a good, gentle word. It's true. It's strong. They need to process. If I don't... You know, so I don't let them put it on me. If I don't need to process, there's plenty of things I need to process. Amen, Lord? I need to process plenty of things. He knows. You know, right before him, I stand. I need to process plenty of things. He knows. I know. We're all beggars before God. There's nothing to be hidden. But there's some situations that I don't necessarily have to process something and somebody else needs to process what they need to process and I need to let them process. And I don't let them need to let them put their process on me. I got enough to process. You got the point? Okay. So th- that's how we work. But you draw the strength from the Lord because he doesn't have to process anything. And when you have communion with him, you see that, that's the thing is, you know, actually putting on the mind of Christ, you know, that's receiving his soul. You know, a little side note, you receive his mind. You know, you receive his body. So, you know, if there's something in you that's not quite ordered yet, well, it's all ordered in Jesus. So go live in him. I go live in him when I'm living in him. Everything's in order. Problem is, I don't stay there all the time. But that's another story. Signs of contradiction. That's union with Jesus. And then Mary's told that a sword will pierce her own heart. St. John Paul II in Mother of the Redeemer says that that was like a second annunciation. The The first annunciation, the first joyful mystery now this piercing of her heart in the fourth joyful mystery is like a second enunciation. She gives her fiat again, right? Unspoken, but yes. Her whole life was fiat, 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 fiat to whatever God asked Part of relating to the Eucharistic Lord, you can take the seven sorrows of Our Lady. I, I obviously won't be able to get to those during this retreat. I, I had thought that, that was going to be one of the things I was going to bring in, but we're still on the fourth joyful mystery on the last conference of the two full days of conferences. So uh, as I do speed up, it's, I'm not speeding up because all the other mysteries are not as important, it's just that you're getting in the pattern of how to view things. You understand? That's my goal. Are you with me? You understand? It's for the, you to take it to your own prayer, okay? So we, we, we go through all the foundational things, and then, then you do it through your own prayer. This is a, you have a lifetime at this. A lifetime at this. We're in this for the marathon, this isn't a sprint. I'm too old to sprint anyway, but we're in in the marathon. And this is what John Paul II is talking about, the fourth joyful mystery. This relationship with the sacrificial dimension of the Eucharist, preparing Mary for the other six swords that will pierce her heart. In the spiritual life, I have found that God and his love will prepare you for greater challenges later. But he's such a loving God, he, he, he knows how to prepare you. And so, you know, there's the dark night of the senses, and then you get to the dark night of the soul. But this brings me to the fifth joyful mystery, the finding of Jesus in the temple. But remember, prior to that, is the... Losing of Jesus in the temple, right? One of the sorrowful sorrows of Our Lady, right? Okay, the fruit of this mystery is the joy of finding Jesus. All of us in our spiritual lives, uh, I can only speak for myself, but sometimes we lose sight of Jesus. But the joy of finding him, he's there, and he's in every tabernacle in a Catholic church, All over the world. Jesus was 12 years old. They came to the temple for Passover. Right there is a lot of material for meditation. What were Jesus, Mary, and Joseph speaking about when they came to the temple? The Passover, obviously. And what does the Passover mean? The remembrance of all that God did to free the people, but then God's intervention to set his people free but for Our Lady and St. Joseph, so focused on Jesus, you know, the Passover w- w- was something that, that, that wasn't just a historical event, and let me, let me bring that up now. When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, the Hebrew word is zakar. I, I can remember that because my name is Zachary, Okay. The name Zachary means in remembrance of God, Zakar Yahweh, Zachar Yah. Okay? Or God remembers. In the Hebrew mindset, to remember isn't like an American mindset of just remembering a historical event. It's to make present everything from the past, right now in the present. Everything is made present. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember my whole life. When he gives us his body and blood, the Semitic mindset or the Hebrew mindset at the time, the body meant the whole person, everything he he stood for, everything he did, everything he taught. And remember, he taught a lot without words. And blood was seen as the seat of life. He's going to pour out his very life, all of it. Okay? His whole person, his whole seat of life, S-E-A-T. Do this in remembrance of me. So they go to the temple. To remember the Passover, and anytime you hear temple, again, you want to remember Jesus is the new temple. Remember he said, destroy this temple, in three days I will raise it up. Jesus is the new temple. In that temple is the altar. On that altar is the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and the one who offers that sacrifice is the priest, Jesus Christ, the one eternal high priest of the new and eternal covenant, a new and eternal covenant. So Jesus is the temple, the altar, the sacrifice, and the priest. And as they come into the temple, remembering all that God had done and all the offerings, all the great things of the Passover, they're just so joyful. The Holy Family is so joyful. Because part of remembering Passover, I want you to think about what is a Passover? The Passover means you pass over from somewhere to somewhere else, right? You're passing over, right? Now we know that in 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 Exodus there was the blood of the lamb that was put on the lintel and the doorpost, and the destroying angel passed over those who obeyed God, right? But you can also think of Passover in this regard, passing over from death. To life. Passing over from slavery to freedom. Passing over from darkness to light. Passing over from even earth to heaven. Wow. That's what's going on. And God's doing that every day. Jesus is our Passover, and it's by his sacrifice that he sets us free from the hand of Pharaoh, who's a type of the devil, and from slavery, free from the slavery to sin, and the death that follows sin. He gives us life. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. And let me make this clear at this point. Jesus does not say, I am a way a truth, and a life. There is only one way to God, Jesus Christ, who is God. There's no other name in heaven, on earth, or under the earth by which man can be saved. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. The way, the truth, the life. There is only one true God, the Most Holy Trinity the God that Jesus Christ revealed as Jesus Christ revealed him. So they're in the temple talking about the great works of God and all the sacrifices of old again on the Passover don't equal what Jesus is already now anticipating, what Mary is anticipating, what Joseph is aware of, what's going to go on. And they're just so full of joy but then they start to head back to Nazareth from Jerusalem and about a day's journey they don't find Jesus many say this is because when they came in from Nazareth to Jerusalem Jesus was 12 but he wasn't yet considered a man until after that Passover and so he would have come down traveling with Mary, his mother, the women. But when he was returning, he he was going to be traveling with Joseph and the men. But Joseph thought, now this is not in Scripture. This is private revelation, so I always have to qualify that. This this is for your belief or not, but it makes eminent sense to me. Joseph thought, well, Jesus is always with Mary. Mary. Good thought, right? Jesus is always with Mary, right? But Mary's thinking, well, he's a man. He's going to travel back with Joseph. And so a day into it, they're going around and they're saying, where's Jesus? Innocent mistake, right? Have you ever made innocent mistakes, my brothers and sisters, as parents? I mean, we've made plenty of mistakes, don't get me wrong, but sometimes there's innocent mistakes, right? Good thoughts. So they're looking around, and they don't find Jesus, and now they they have concern. Again, based on private revelation, Mary was concerned mostly because they were talking about the Passover, and Mary wanted to be at Jesus' side. She knew he was going to be a suffering Messiah, that he was going to lay his life down. She knew that from the Old Testament, right? She knew that. She didn't know when it was going to be. So maybe it was happening and she wasn't there for him. Now she's concerned. And Joseph obviously is concerned. He's the guardian of the Redeemer. They eventually go back to the temple, to the mercy seat. That's where the presence of God was. So that was part of the joy of being there in the temple. The presence of God was in the temple. And they come to the the mercy seat and then they see Jesus teaching the elders, listening to them and asking them questions. That's part of your Eucharistic relationship with Jesus. It might be an adoration or when you receive him and then after the holy sacrifice of the mass. When when you're in a holy hour with him, do you ever hear him asking you any questions, just listening to you and asking you questions? Does he ever just, you know, listen and... Ask you questions like, my child, why are you trying to do this on your own strength? I don't know. Maybe that's just a question for me. (laughs) My child, does that work out real well when you rely on your own strength? Oh, just, I don't want to. That's, I don't want to share my own interior life. But anyway. No, Lord, it doesn't. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> so they they're amazed. But they're so happy to find Jesus. But what are the first words Jesus says? These are the first recorded words of Jesus in Scripture the first recorded words of jesus in scripture i must be about my father's business that's what he came for right what were what were his last words on the cross father into thy hands i commend my spirit jesus spoke about the father all the time all the time that's what he'll speak to you about the father He came to reveal the Father, to make the Father's love visible. He spoke in the Beatitudes about the Father. He spoke on the Sermon on the Mount about the Father. He spoke, you know, about the lilies of the field and God's providence. Even when he was going to go into his passion, he taught, you know, now is the time, Father, for me to be, you know, for me to give you glory, essentially. The time has come. I've come to do thy will. Everything was about the Father and his providence and his mercy He spoke about the Father so much. First words, last words. The Father, the Father, the Father. And then it says Jesus went with St. Joseph and our Blessed Mother and was obedient to them. Obedient to creatures, the creatures he created. Uh, A great scholar on St. Joseph said that this was the moment where Joseph actually realized his participation in the passion of Christ, that he wasn't going to be able to be there when Jesus laid down his life, but he experienced his own passion in accepting that, you know, his role was to be the guardian of the Redeemer and to be the guardian of the Blessed Virgin Mary and her spouse. But that Jesus and Mary were going to go forward into that passion, but Joseph was experiencing his own passion. Now, again, some of the things I brought up in this mystery or these last couple of mysteries are some, this mystery particularly, are some private revelation. But I love God so much, I seek to love the mystery. And in seeking to love the mystery, I find solid, solid, solid resources that are consistent with all the theology I learned in Rome and other places. Proper theology, okay? So it all fits. But again, you're free to accept it or not. But in the end, what we do know is that they were in the temple at the celebration of the Passover. Jesus was 12 years old. We know that. It's This is just logic. What were they talking about? They were talking about the Passover and the meaning of the Passover. And all this relates to the Eucharistic sacrifice of Jesus. That's the point. Remember, all these mysteries now we're going into all relate to the Eucharist, right? That's the whole point. Mary's the mother of the Eucharist, and we're learning to contemplate the Eucharistic face of Christ in the school of Mary in the Eucharist. That fifth mystery right there is about the Passover, And that would take you to the Last Supper and all the sorrowful mysteries, right? And then the resurrection. But the main point is that there is this sacrificial dimension. And the only way we're going to be able to enter into the sacrifice is by having a deep relationship with the Eucharist a deep relationship with the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ really, truly, and substantially present, our Blessed Mother will help us enter into these mysteries. But the more you enter into them, not just for the sake of uh, mystical ecstasies, those things are are gifts from God, but St. Teresa of Avila says that spiritual consolations and mystical experiences, so forth, so on, are given to strengthen us to embrace the cross that's why they're given they're not given just to feel good about yourself and so we come to the conclusion of the presentations on the joyful mysteries appropriately on the feast of saint luke but the joyful mysteries never end thank god they're all connected but you've learned a way of approaching the mysteries that you can take into the luminous mysteries the sorrowful mysteries and the glorious mysteries that we'll be addressing part of them tomorrow. But it's been a wonderful day. I thank you for your attention and your sacrifices and your prayers. We will have evening prayer. And then at 7 o'clock, we'll have the sacrament of reconciliation, which we commonly call confession, from about 7 to 7.45 for those who would care to come. And then at eight o'clock, a Eucharistic healing service, a Eucharistic healing service. So we now thank our Eucharistic Lord and we ask our Blessed Mother, Mother of the Eucharist, to help us embrace the gift and the mystery and make it a part of our life.